Hey there, Steven. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Steven. And do we have our special guest star back again? Yes, we do. Fuck yeah. Who is this? This is Alexander Wales. Second time's the charm. Can you believe God it? Goddamn straight. Thank you for joining us. This is amazing. I'm glad that we managed to get all together once again. Yeah. Me too. Excellent. Did you know that our podcast that we did was called Not Everything is a Clue? I did. Yes. So, I, I, have not, I have not listened to the podcast at all because I feel like... I feel like you run into problems as a writer if you mm-hmm. if you spend too much time listening to not not even critics necessarily but like listening to like comments and oh yeah I mean for what it's worth we strong agree we were you know almost almost nonstop uh well, I don't know over the top supportive and enjoying but I wouldn't wish like I, I couldn't imagine listening to it ended up being like what 150 hours of content. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a long time, which is great. It was a lot of fun to do, but I, I think it, it's way too much of a backlog. But I only asked because I maintain that basically everything was a clue. And uh, I, I tried. I You know, I have one thing, though. And this was my last, like I put this at the top of the last show notes that we had for our final episode. The the note from fifth period English was like the last thing he remembered. He, and I think he mentions it, I think, three times. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be like, help, I'm stuck in the Matrix or something. <laughs> and it turned out to never come up. Um, the idea was that the note, I, I don't I don't know how much this made it into the text. I think they're in that final, the final meeting with the Dungeon Master. It, I rewrote that a bunch of times and I think I just couldn't fit it in. But it was Juniper's attempt to get the group back together. That was like what he was trying to do. It did uh, mean something. With the note. <laughs> Take that, I mean, that was the idea for it, but I... It was also one of those things where I don't know. It's it, it's very hard as an author to know how much um, weight to give to individual to individual things. Because yeah. like the more that you learn about Juniper, the more you're thinking like, um, you know, at this point in his life, why is he passing notes in in class? Right. That's what but, I'm saying. They've got cell um, phones. Yeah. That's why it was a clue. <laughs> <laughs> it's also you know I I went to high school before people really had cell phones. Totally. <laughs> so there's. Um, Juniper is not an authentic Zoomer in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And I, I just very early on, I was like, okay, we're going to say that he was born like around, uh, I think he was born 2001, um, something like that. Uh, and I'm just not going to, I'm not going to worry that much about, you know, what, what actual like differences there are in, in the mindset of like a 17 year old of, I guess now it would be a 17 year old of 2017. Cause we're like five years on, oh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> well, on the plus side, he, you know, in Bubblefuck, that's basically the deep past anyway. Right, right. right. It's, so, uh, it's the Midwest. You're, you're way behind on the times anyway. So Yeah, it's the, it's the middle of the Midwest. <laughs> we, had, uh, we had one person on our Discord speculating that maybe it was a suicide note. Yeah, which I, got I, that. Was... I got that a few times. People, oh, people, man. People, uh, that, I mean, which is a good guess. Like that, that's yeah. uh, thematically connected, but it's also, I don't know. It's, it's one of those um, theories or guesses that people have that... I'm like, oh, you know, that, that wouldn't be like a terrible idea, but it doesn't line yeah. up with um, some other stuff that's either on the page or not on the page. So so right. sometimes I hear something like that. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, like that would be a good connection to make. And then I realize it doesn't work with like some other stuff that that I felt was implicit. Mm-hmm. I think there's some fan theories that are so cool that you don't want to shoot them down. And you're just like, well, uh, as due to death of the author, I can't comment on this. Yeah. Everyone's interpretation is valid. Yeah, I, I I generally try not to to stomp on people's uh, weird ideas about <laughs> about a, a work. 
I would have to imagine I, unless they get something like egregiously wrong, and you can just be like, "Excuse me, did you read this? Did you read the thing that I wrote?" Like, I didn't actually say that. That might get up my get on my nerves, but it, it gets on my nerves. But I also I try not to in, interject too much. I try not to to interfere. It's like oh, it, for sure. People, people are wrong on the internet. It happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll be up all Steve, night, man. <laughs> Stephen just brought up uh, Bumblefuck, which was not in my list of questions, but now I really want to ask about it. And I, I realize that you're just one guy and your opinion is just, you know, the same as anybody else's, not not special or whatever, or maybe it is. I don't know. Point is, Bumblefuck, in my opinion, that was not the name of the actual town that June was obfuscating in his official memoirs or whatever, so that... uh people wouldn't get harassed so that or possibly even so that real people in the real world in a town wouldn't uh have random alexander wales fans showing up uh but a number of people were like this is proof that he is in a simulation kind of thing because no town ever would name themselves bumblefuck and i was wondering what your opinion on that was is bumblefuck an obfuscation by june or is that actually the town's name it's just an obfuscation people thought i was a little too uh persistent in using that Mm -hmm. um so, so it's uh, worth candle semi autobiographical, um, but I, I I grew up in southern Minnesota rather than Kansas, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I I, I do want to like blur the name a little bit. It lends it more reality, I think, mm-hmm. that it, that it's an obfuscated name, that it's not like you know. Pl- plus, then I don't have to have I don't need to need any like real consistency with a place in Kansas that I've never I've been to Kansas a lot. Um, my my uh, grandparents are from Kansas. So we would make, you know, our yearly trip down there by yearly um, trip. But um, the, there is actually a clue, uh, which is that um, Juniper's uh, Juniper, his um, Arbian counterpart uh, is from, um, is that Sporsan, right? Yes. Uh, Which is an anagram for a, a city in Kansas. Like a, a small, like tiny little <laughs> town. I, I'm I okay that that one missed me. I, that. I didn't know. Oh wait, did someone mention that? Someone did, but now I'm like, I don't remember if they they came up with it on their own or if it was like in a fact or something. Yeah, I, kind of I, I'm not sure, but it's there's there's a uh, it's an anagram for a for a town in in uh, Kansas, which approximately matches. Um, there's like a couple differences, but um, it approximately matches. Uh, w- the Juniper's description of the town that he grew up in. Okay. So and I did, I, I did. So I like did have like a town in mind when I started writing, but like, it was also one of those things where I just don't need to, I don't need to be accurate. Right. Like I would, I, I don't gain anything by being accurate to some random town in Kansas that I've never heard of in terms of like how it's laid out or, or anything like that. There's not enough details that I think you are like, Oh, he's describing a specific place, which I think is a little bit too, to its detriment as you know you know because I, I grew up in a small town in the midwest um southern, southern minnesota is, is definitely like green basket type area and um there are there are a bunch of little details about that town that i could tell you that i would probably in my own memoir like mention at least in passing um and juniper doesn't do that too much partly because I, I don't know i just didn't feel like doing it but um, that would have lent it a little bit more weight rather than being a semi-generic, just Midwestern town. Yeah. Um, which I think serves its own purpose that it's not, um, that it's not some hyper-specific place that's sort of like, if you've grown up in the Midwest, you can kind of, uh, you know, imagine having all these fields around you going deer hunting, 
Um, yeah, and- it's interchangeable. It's like Smallville. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bumblefuck is just a nice, funny way of saying middle of nowheresville. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I um, should have asked you this when it came up in the last episode. And when I was listening through it again, I was like, oh, God, I can't believe I didn't ask him that. So I want to hit it with the very top here. Um, you said you had to rewrite one of the chapters in the Athenaeum um, arc when they ended up fighting the the... Oh, not the Jabberwocky, what was the giant thing? The Mumrath. Yeah. Uh, you had to rewrite one of those chapters like three or four times. Which chapter was that and why? It was the first... I, okay, it, part of it was that Figaro Finch was there a lot more. Um, mm. Or I, he still is there, but it's later on. I, it's, it was just the initial part where, where Juniper is um, coming out of his meditation coma thing and um, going up the leg. I don't know why it was one of those things that... that you know, some chapters just take, you know, take like a two weeks to write, uh, yeah. and other chapters just can like smash through in a day. Yeah. Um, and this was one that just took, it just took a lot of rewriting because no I, no matter what was, you do, it just doesn't feel right when it's out on the page. Yeah. It was different conversations with, with Figaro Finch. It was like different. I don't know. Th- there was, there was a lot of like stuff that was supposed to be going on in the background. And I think I do that as an author a little bit too much that things are a little bit too much in the background instead of mm. in the center. Um, but in the, in that case, I think the Figaro Finch stuff, I, I want the, this like background of them having been like sent to this college for a reason because uh, the empire of common cause wants specific stuff to happen or like certain, certain elements of there that they're, they're being, they're being sent to this wizard college basically as part of a fact finding mission. Um, I don't know. It, it was just, it was, uh, it was just a little bit tangled, I guess. Um, that's where I, I think I run uh, where, where it gets harder to write is where I think that, um, that there's some tangling of, of different overlaying plots. Do you keep your old versions of things that you discarded or rewrote? Yeah. Uh, I can send you a, a link to it. Um, there's, I, after I was done, I sent out, um, the Apocrypha, which is, uh, um, oh, so included all those like rewrites and things in it. It included, yeah, and it includes. Uh, the, I just usually what I do is if I'm just starting over re- rewriting something, I'll just take the whole chunk and I'll throw it in a file called scrap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so there's like, and then once they get to like ten or twenty thousand words, I, I I start a new one so they're not too big. Um, but yeah, the apocrypha is eight scrap files, and then. Uh, like two whole alternate versions of chapters, which is for 189 and 198. Okay. But you, you, I, I keep, I keep uh, as much as I can. Cause then sometimes I can use it later or, or sometimes yeah. I just like, I learned my lesson the first time I, I had made major revisions and then I wanted to revert back to previous one. And I was like, fuck, I lost all that, that I cut. I should have saved it. And now I never toss something for good anymore. Yeah. So I end up with a lot of a lot of like scrap stuff, a lot of unused cutting room floor type stuff. Got to hold on to that version history. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I had a quick question. I, I I'm sure you know she had an order that you wanted to go, but I'm going to just kind of jump yeah, in. Go for it because I, I'm trying to think of like little areas that you know, and I disagreed on, and just to get one more person's input, whether or not you know <laughs> I, I like listening. You know, it, I I know that death of the author is the thing that you know if you disagree with the author, you're a fan of, and if you if the author agrees with you, then you're not, you know, then suddenly <laughs> the author's alive again. Yeah. Um, right. So this is a funny one. I loved 
everything leading up to, including the Shia LaBeouf fight. I thought like the hype about around it was great. You know, he says we could play actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf and she's like, you know, emergency protocol, common 500 words only, no one talk. And like, it's everything serious right away. And it could be over like a funnier thing, right? And then he shows up and it's like this epic fight. He's horrifying, teleporting around, he's invincible. And then when they're like in the air and he's punching the dragon in the face. And that was when Inuyasha was... When he was describing it, he was like, man, it just, it really played up the horror of it. And I was like, I think it played up the hilarity of it. Like, yeah, it's scary and exciting, but it's also really funny. And we decided that the the way that we would know whether that was a horror scene or a comedy scene would be what music they put to it in the live or in the, the <laughs> video version. So um, since there, since that's probably, you know, not in the works just yet, what's, uh, what, what, what kind of music would you put to that fight? I think I would do so. It's one of those things where there's a lot of overlap between horror and comedy. Right. Um, I think that I would do it like dead serious, but that's what makes it funny. Like the okay. what what makes it funny to me is not is you know like I, I would find it less funny if there was like yakety sax music or or you know <laughs> or like some ironic overlay of like Smash Mouth's All Star or something. <laughs> Or I don't, I don't know, whatever you were doing to it. I would want it to be like incredibly serious. And But what makes it funny is that it's like very silly. It's all played perfectly straight. Trying, yeah, which which was something I was trying for, for Worth the Candle in general. I wanted, the, I wanted to play a lot of things very, very straight and and just lean into it. Even if it's like super, super dumb, um, just just lean into the, the dumb stuff, like like the L uh they live like a hundred oh. times slower than than people and i just i wanted to keep as much dumb stuff from that and like and like pretend that i don't find it funny I which is it. what makes it more funny to me there was a movie <laughs> that came out a couple years ago where mel gibson plays santa claus it's called fat man it's amazing and the the main selling point that i can pitch for this is that the premise is walton goggins is hired as an assassin to kill santa claus and the entire thing is played perfectly straight. No one talks about how absurd it is that like the military is trying to get a contract with Santa to build stuff during the off season. Like it, so it, that, that is something that I think really can add to that sort of stuff. And I, I, uh, I appreciated that fact and worth the candle. Yeah. I, I think, I think people can, when, when writing that particular kind of comedy, they can go a little over the top and that to, to me detracts from it a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, so it's meant, to, it's meant to be, like straight horror horror slash action and and but then like juniper desperately trying to figure out like where he can get a paper bag <laughs> it is is funny but he's not treating it like it's the funniest thing right right oh, and, and the text, he could die yeah, it's the, super the text serious yeah doesn't, doesn't treat it like it's a funny thing yeah. love it I was wondering, like, lit RPG is a fairly new uh, genre and definitely was five years ago. Why why lit RPG? One of the genesis, uh, uh, genesis, uh, one of the origins of um, lit RPG is, um, it's not a manga, it's a mawa. It's like a Korean, there's a Korean comic called The Gamer um, that was like the first big thing. And that was probably seven or eight years ago. I don't, maybe, maybe older than that. But um, I had read the gamer which which was based off of that comic uh i forget who did it uh ryuki ryugi uh, it it was a written on a form but it was a um fanfic of ruby with uh john as the 
having gamer powers and it was really weird night. Um, I had liked that, but I felt like it did a lot of things weirdly. And uh, I had read a few lit RPGs and I'm just like, I don't really like what they're, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of uh, ways to do it that I don't enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. And I haven't read that many of them. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to do my own thing. You know, that I, I think that's the number one thing that gets me uh, to write something is I just have read something and, and it gives me ideas. And then I want to, I want to execute my ideas and not read what other people uh, have done. <laughs> I got really curious about this and I just Googled it. The gamer apparently originally came out September of 2013. So 2013 almost. Okay. Yeah. Almost uh 10 years ago now. Yeah. Well, it took a while to get, um, it took a while to get popular and, but that's sort of been the, um, the starting point for that, for, for lit RPG, in my opinion, I, 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 I liked it. Okay. It's, it's one of those things where, um, you have this numbers go up, syndrome that a lot of lit rpgs get where, where the, like you're you're replacing plot beats and character development with just the numbers going up and um sometimes you're just using that to like keep things fresh i guess so like the gamer keeps getting a new power and then they explore how that new power works and um for for some new arc and i don't, I don't know their their lit rpg is kind of fraught as a genre with a lot of um a lot of difficulties that come from the premise so I tried my best, but uh, uh, par- partly I, I I had this sort of perverse interest in what I saw as a little bit of an unstable narrative medium. Have you kept up with it at all since then? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I I, uh, I I actually watch TV and movies more than I more than I read. Partly because reading time is always like competing against writing time. So I read like I read like a book every two weeks or something. I'm not I'm not a huge reader anymore. They also when I'm reading a book, it, it tends to infect my my writing a little bit in terms yes. of at least tone, if not like actual content. I will say a book every two weeks is not a small amount of books, though. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the books. I'm I'm I, I'm very used to being around people who read webfic, and they're like, mm. "Oh yeah, it was like six hundred thousand words," and I just like finished it in in like a week, and I'm like, "Oh man, how do you like have the time for that? How do you?" Yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't. I would have the time for it if I didn't watch TV or play video games or or other stuff. But I don't think I would. But that's a combination of me reading somewhat slower and also just not being able to sit still for that long. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say that I feel like the numbers go up was handled really well. You know, because it's core for like, especially like the the prologue. You know, when he's yeah, I'm getting through the audiobook, which by the way is done really well. Um, Good, and so it reminded me just like how much the focus was on numbers at the beginning of the story and almost not at all in the last fifth, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's, I loved that the, and someone in the, on our discord called this out uh, before it was made explicit. But the reason that, you know, June had the game overlay and Arthur didn't was that June had to, that one of the things he was getting, you know, one, one of the, I don't know, lessons i was trying to say morals one of the lessons he was getting was uh you know it matters whether or not it's quote-unquote fake and arthur had it the other way around he's like this all feels fake and he didn't really have any you know it the 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 game overlay was like hey this is all fake man but everything sure feels real and that was the thing that mattered i felt like and then the the tapering off of how much the numbers mattered towards the end was also the, the meta level of this story was something i've never encountered before 
Like that was for June and that was for us. And we experienced it at the same time, but in a slightly different context. It was crazy. And that was true for like most of the stuff in the story. I, I don't know that, if that made sense. Yeah. I, I think that the, the, like everything's fake. And I think that's something I struggled with a lot when I was a teenager in terms, not in mm-hmm. terms of like the world being fake, but a lot of like social stuff and uh, a lot of like how the world works. I'm just like, Oh, this fake bullshit. And <laughs> And, and and eventually coming around to caring about it anyway, I guess. It's real because it's, it's real enough that we care about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a, a very strong nihilist streak as a as a teenager. Less so now. I, I think I'd still qualify as a, a nihilist but by some standards. But um, did, did it become less so when you had the kid or even before then? No, no. Even before then. Uh, so like my actual... Um, not to get too personal, but uh, like I, instead of going to a fantasy land uh, where I was essentially a minor God, um, I went to college <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I was just, I was super depressed. I uh, like kind of stumbled through my first like year and a half. And then I attempted suicide and um dropped out of college after that uh, when I, I was in a mental institution for a while. Um, and then I moved in with my sister, uh, which was like three hours away from home and um, just worked at, it just worked for a while. Just worked like a, not a minimum wage job, but like a, you know, menial labor job for like two years or so and kind of, kind of rebuilt myself mentally then. Yeah. Um, so, so for, for Juniper, Juniper is kind of, hit that rock bottom, but then has not like done any of the rebuilding, uh, was kind of part of, I don't, I don't know. I I don't know how well, (laughs) how well it works from, from that perspective, but that's sort of, I I think, I think for me, I was, I was like 20, 22 or 23 and I went back to college and I think I was probably, I don't know. I was kind of old, like past that age when, when I was trying to deal with this, this nihilism that very often led to, to depression. Cause like part of the nihilism is, is like, you know, there's, there's, there's injustice in the world and mm-hmm. people are dying for no reason. And life just sometimes like sucks for like, there's no purpose to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you find a purpose? You know, I think you just take it one day at a time and you just, you just, you focus on making the world better in whatever ways you can. Yeah, I think June almost had it easy because he was instantly thrust into a situation where everything he did mattered. Right. Yeah, it is. It is, and it is. You know, a fantasy in that respect yeah. that like Juniper is an important person in the world and doesn't have to deal with. Um, well, okay, he does have to deal with a little bit of doubts as far as that goes, but like he doesn't need to deal with doubting whether you know whether this is all. You know, in, in some in some ways, it's good because he, he knows that there's a God, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's a God that he hates, that's at least better than just like having this hatred towards how the world is and no real way to like no enemy to direct it at, mm-hmm. which I mean, for, for me, was was one of the hard things is um, having having yeah. this deep well of hatred toward how the world is and just not not believing that it was actually like one person or one organization that was the problem. It's just like there's, the systems of the world are are bad. Yeah, there's Which no one to blame. I still believe, but yeah, I, I appreciate you being forthcoming with uh, your history. That 
and I, I think I speak for everybody that I'm glad that things worked out to the oh, extent yeah. that they did. Uh, but I think it's, it's valuable to talk about those things because, you know, people in those situations think they're alone. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like you said that June was coming down from that, you know, nihilism when he landed on Arab. Am I saying it wrong? Uh, uh okay. I, it's one of those things where I, I've been told that I say it wrong, <laughs> but it, you know, I, I read books and I don't pronounce, I don't pronounce the words in my head. Mm-hmm. And so I just like, I, I say Arab. And then oh, other cool. people are like, no, it's, it's, it's Arb. Well, I, I don't know. I think, I think I go back and forth, but it's, it's definitely one of those words that I'm just like, people are how do you, like, how do you pronounce that? And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I, I settled on Arab. So that's, that's what we called it, it for like, the show, but there's yeah, a word for like that. Arab to me, like aeroplane. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So yeah, June, June's whole thing was coming through that. Right. Yeah. And I, finding, I mean, what, I mean, everything can sound corny if you distill it down to a couple of sentences, but he, he, found meaning you know partly through true friendship and love you know like mm-hmm. and that's that is the uh i think that's that's an essential ingredient in any good life and uh his conversation with grack was uh like on that beat and i thought was insanely moving as well um that whole scene played really well for me i got a lot of good comments on that one a lot of, a lot of people um who you know have been through depressive episodes or just struggle with it. I, I don't know. I, I deal with the occasional bout of depression still. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I got a lot of nice comments on, on specifically Grack's arc and uh, some of the stuff, especially that, that last, that last chapter, which I was pretty happy about. Yeah. Oh yeah. When he found his true love sort of. No, no, no. In a, in a, the. Oh, in the, in his arc. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Because yeah, Greg's chapter was like the second to last one, I think, in the entire book. No, this this is much earlier on. This is uh, when he okay. goes back to his doorfold. That's that's yeah. like Greg's big chapter, right? Yes, yes, it is. Right. And I think it's one of the very few from his perspective, right? Yeah, good point. I think, I think he, he has he has a couple other viewpoint ones, but that's it's it's pretty yeah, rare. Yeah, they're I rare. I think there's probably not more than three. Well, okay, I got a number of questions. Let's go with this one about the Shia LaBeouf fight, since we were just talking about that not too long ago. After the end of that fight, Amaryllis is asking June, you think like there was another path that this arc didn't have to end with so many people dead? And he says, sure, probably several. Did you think of other ways it could have ended? And uh, do you would you like to share any of those? Um, yeah, so the, the other arc, and partly there's not another path because um, the purpose of the arc is to look at who Amaryllis is as a person and to, to some extent how Juniper handles or doesn't handle or depends on her too much for the like diplomacy aspects. Um, so in that sense, it blowing up is like the point of it. And if they'd come to like, if they had come to an agreement, the narrative path there would have needed to be um, uh, Amaryllis turns on Rose Mallow and then the final confrontation or, or whatever is Amaryllis and Rosemallow together, which, which still happens in the book, but like a grander version of that to, as, as payoff. Um, there was intended to be a, so, so, I mean, that's that in terms of like changing a path so that they find some way to make peace, even though they hate each other. Right. Um, that, that was an option. I tend not to like those too much um, in books. I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, that's great. But like, you kind of promised me that there would be a fight. 
Um, <laughs> uh, yes. That's that's how I usually feel when when reading. I, I don't think after beating Onion, um, there was a way to turn it around at that point. Okay. But I guess maybe there would have been. Uh, so originally there was going to be a fight inside the Infinite Hotel. Oh. Uh, but that would have come in a different. I, I don't, that, that that was the main like other planned thing that did not happen. I had a, like a song written for it. It was going to be like a, a music battle. Huh. Uh, like like where where someone comes in and they're like using song as a power and to like control oh, people cool. and. Juniper has to like do a, a musical fight. I don't know. It was an idea that like never made it to the page. Um, but I had, had had plans there, like having a fight inside this like giant, infinitely tall atrium inside the hotel and stuff. But that was that was one of the main things that was planned and, and didn't didn't pan out. Okay, so I guess June was wrong. Basically, it was going to end with a lot of people dead, one way or another. Well. Not necessarily. I think a fight with Rose Mallow might have ended with only Rose Mallow dead, right? But like, I, I mean, the the end there is is a bad ending as a reflection of a failure of diplomacy. So if mm-hmm. diplomacy had worked, I mean, narratively diplomacy can work. It just it's kind of tricky because you're 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 subverting expectations in a bad way, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so the fourth Twilight movie. They run into that problem, <laughs> right? Where they're where the they it, it ends with I'm going to spoil Twilight, but um, <laughs> or the hold, on, been, hold on, I haven't seen it yet. I'm kidding, sorry. I haven't uh, seen it's it. It's been but 15 years or something. So, so, so the fourth Twilight movie, they have like a vision of of a final fight, and then and then it just happens in the character's head. So oh yeah, I remember that from the pitch meeting. And, yeah, it, they're they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Um, right. mm-hmm. And so it's it's. I think one of the, it's very it's hard hard to do a diplomatic ending because I think you you subvert in in the wrong way. Um, so in in that sense, I as an author, I'm always going to be more likely to go with a final fight because I think I think people having irreconcilable differences or even just misreading each other, and I I, I will generally think that's more um, compelling. But I definitely could have written it with only Rose Mallow dying or with. Um, not so much collateral damage anyway, because there's a lot of collateral damage from the, like the dragon against yeah. Shia LaBeouf, right? It's like, I don't know. It's, it's actually not that much. Cause I was trying to figure out like how many people realistically would die. I think it's in the like hundreds rather than thousands, but yeah, hundreds is still a lot of people. Um, you know, it is in some sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, this, this segues greatly perfectly to something i wanted to ask um regarding your philosophy on the dinosaur to sodomy ratio which before i ask do you are you familiar with the dinosaur versus sodomy ratio thing no (laughs) (laughs) okay it comes from there's an old story which charles strauss i think likes to tell about a uh teaching instructor but um basically the to to cut it down much shorter, uh, dinosaurs are a euphemism for like excitement and raw and things are blowing up and there's action and oh my god, this is also awesome. And sodomy, because this is like from 30, 40 years ago, sodomy is like the emotions mm-hmm. where you're speaking to your lover and you're telling him we can never be together because we're both men and this is heart-wrenching, but you must go on without me and why can't I quit you? And so like the the you know, the every story needs like some amount of action and awesomeness, but also some amount of introspection and poetry and dealing with one's emotions and i i 
I thought that Worth the Candle like hit it perfectly. Like I could not imagine a better balance of fighting and talking and doing things and feeling things. Um, but I was wondering like what how what you aim for when you do that ratio and if that's changed over the years. Um, I do it entirely by feel. I'm I'm writing uh I'm trying to finish okay, so National Novel Writing Month is over, but um Writeathon is on Railroad is happening at the same time and I need an extra like five thousand words. Um so I was writing that today and I I for that story specifically, I'm really trying to pay attention to to feel. Um but I I, I mean I never I never go by like strict ratios or anything. I, I always do it by like, am I feeling like there has been enough talking? Do we need more action? Like if there's going to be an action, what, um, what venue or like what, where's that action going to come from? It needs to come organically from the story ideally, and not just be um, action for the sake of action. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I, I do it mostly by feel. Um, I try to do, I try to do most of the emotion st- stuff. I, I like breather chapters a lot. I like a chapter after action where like not that much is happening. It's mostly people talking and introspecting and um, so some heightened emotional times or whatever. Um, and then I, it's mostly just trying not to go too long of a stretch without um, one thing or the other. Okay. But, I like but how- it's, it's all, it's all by feel. It's it's not, you know, I don't have any rule of thumb. I always try to like, you know, make, make sure I'm not, um, especially for a serial that, that I'm not, uh, having too large of a chunk where I'm going to lose, uh, lose something by not mixing it up. I like how the, the feel like the pacing of, all right, now's the time for like a good kind of relief decompressed chapter. All I, I would think from the authorial position, I don't, I haven't written anything longer than like two pages, um, for a story. So I don't know if it's easy to keep that in mind. But I would think that from your position, it would be hard to imagine what it's like for somebody reading this. Like, all right, how long will it take them to get through this? And then, all right, that's long enough. Now it's time. Like, all right, let's give them some time to chill. Like, I feel like those those moments were all really well spaced out. But I have no idea how that's done from the author's chair. Yeah, it's 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 by feel. It's there's not there's there's not a trick to it. Um, the other thing is that like there's there's for a web serial there's two forms of pacing. There's the per chapter pacing, and then there's the um, the the like sort of drip feed that people get. I, I always did it in batches, uh, not always, but like you know, most of Worth the Candle is written in batches of like five or six chapters or something like that, all released at once. Um, so that made it a little bit easier. But this the second form of reading is is the uh, binge read, where you're just right, reading straight from the start and you're reading the whole way through, uh, you know, without many significant pauses. And you want it to read well for both types of reading. And um, I don't I really know how you do that, but I, I try my best to um, for people who are reading serially to have periodic reintroduction of um, of characters that, that will tell you more about them just in case you've like forgotten what a person looks like or you like don't remember what a minor character's thing is even because they were brought up, you know, they're about five chapters ago, but for you reading serially, it's it was like two months ago, and I don't expect you to remember that. Um, so I try to balance have have periodic reintroduction, and which I think also helps keep 
me on track a little bit so that I remember what people look like. <laughs> if I have to describe them, you know, every every couple chapters. Um, and Other then, than Solace being green and Amaryllis being pretty, which I don't know what that looks like. I don't really know. I never got like a vibe of what people, you know, Grack just in my head looked exact, exactly like Gimli. I don't know if that's exactly what you're aiming for, but every dwarf looks like Gimli. Um, <laughs> I mean, every mind, dwarf so. does, does look like Gimli uh, <laughs> in my head. Grack, Grack has um, gray, dyed gray braids on his back. Ah, I forgot that. Grack's <laughs> braids. Uh, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of the... I, I tend to do pretty sparse descriptions of characters, but that's because of what kind of reader I am, where I just skim over the descriptions of characters when I'm reading. I'm like, you know, I can cast them in my head. I just need a vibe. I don't need, I don't need to know what color everyone's eyes are, but they're, they, I don't know. Every time I come, come across one of those paragraphs, so it's like a whole paragraph of just describing in detail, like the shape of someone's nose. I'm just, I, I, my desire to skim is just so great. There was a book series I read that I mentioned all the time because it's like the longest thing I've read next to this was uh, The Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. And that suffered from that description thing a lot. I think it was 15 books long and it seriously could have been 10. If yeah. you cut down on the descriptions of people's clothing, tapestries, and just, I don't know, a lot of the the rambliness. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. You don't, you, you need enough for a vibe. Like Fen has a feel to her. I don't know how tall she is. It doesn't matter, you know? Right. So, um, yeah. One of the things though, is that like people have different ways of processing books. And for some people they don't do like, I'll just cast someone, right? Not even, not even like an, an actor when, when I'm reading something, I, I won't necessarily cast like an actor, but I'll, I'll, I'll imagine a person and that that's enough for me. And it doesn't really matter to me what the, what the book says, right? So long as I have someone cast who who fits the right feel to it, um, it's not going to be like, I, I don't know. Like the description doesn't do much for me because my brain can just fill that in as I'm reading. And if, if no one is described, I'll just, um, I'll just think up my own person, right? Uh, but some people when they read, they cannot, like they can't deal with that. Um, so, if, so if like a character is not described, then for them, there's like this gaping hole where that character should be in their head if they visualize it all. Hmm. So, so for some people, just in the way that they read, they absolutely need like explicit descriptions enough for them to like, not just be picturing a void. Um, yeah. Which is one, which is the only reason I include like those things. Cause I know that it's like roughly half of, of readers uh, just, just can't, can't deal with the ambiguity or, or with the, you know, being able to make it up on their own. It's a it's a very interesting difference in in terms of reader psychology, but um, it yeah, I, I try to let that inform me. Yeah, I'm definitely in the first camp, and I hadn't considered the second. That's that's really cool. Stephen, did you want to ask about the soul modification thing? Yeah, I was trying to think of like again, so things that Enosh and I disagreed on. I thought it'd just be fun to get more weighing in on. So I was of the opinion like when soul modification came up, and I think it was oh, it was when Amaryllis was turning down her feelings for June. And Inyash is like, look, she solved her problems. So I'm like, no, man, she's, you know, more or less lobotomizing her feelings. And I think we found a, a nice place in the middle, but we still were on other, we were on other sides of a line in the middle. And I, I think that, I, I mean, we talked about it at, at length. I think briefly, my thoughts on like, the, the question is like, you know, should, is using soul modification like a good way to solve your problems? And part of me thinks that like, you know, maybe for an intractable problem, but like, I don't know, not immediately for every problem is kind of where I landed. But then, you know, 
where we draw the line is arbitrary. Uh, did I summarize that well, Inyash? Yeah, I, I would say so. All right. So was was soul modification, I don't know, what are your thoughts on using that for, if that was a thing in real life or, you know, what you're going for in the story, however you want to take the question. Well, okay. So I was on, uh, I was on SSRIs for, for a long time, for like five years or something like that. And that's, that was the, um, equivalent for, for, for me. It's, it was like real life brain modification stuff that we have that, that works kind of, you know, poorly. Um, hold up a sec. Are you not on SSRIs anymore? I'm, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm How'd off. you break that? Huh? I, they did well okay so i mean not 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 even thinking about the uh the withdrawal effects but like i i've tried to come off them a few times and every time i've done that it just seems like things get kind of shit again and i haven't been able to like was there some level of therapy or was there different drugs or did you just like get better um it was therapy it was uh diet and exercise is like the biggest thing although that's like uh, that's, that's always why i get like a or part of why I get more depressed in the winter is like, I don't have, it's not as easy to just like go for a hike or, or anything yeah. like that. It's not as easy to like move around and get out of the house. I actually have a theory that um, like winter depression is what happens to bears. That's like why, like why they hibernate. <laughs> oh, uh, that's like a related, Aww. like bears just Poor feel really sad bear. in the winter. Um, yeah. And they don't want to do anything. <laughs> and so they just, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it, I was never on it very large dose um so i tapered off and i was pretty much fine i still there's i still have bouts of depression every once in a while but um for me the there's like there's side effects that came with with that uh, like a, yeah. a sort of alienated feeling that i like didn't have when when i was off them um mm-hmm. so you know it's it it's also one of the, the th- uh, therapy helped a lot it, it was in terms of understanding how to deal with um my spirals of anxiety and depression where I, I don't know, I get like, I get like an email I need to respond to and I get anxious about it and then I don't respond to it. And then I get more anxious about it and then I get depressed. And, um, I have, I, I have these patterns that I have done some work on. It's depression for me is not like a constant thing. It's, it's sort of like something I slip into very easily. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I tapered off. Uh, that was that was you know ages ago. Um, but uh, the for in terms of soul modification, that that's the closest parallel. It's it's parallel that I had in mind while writing. And so for me, like yeah, Amarels did fix the problem. I feel kind of weird about it though. Like that, that's that's sort of where I land on it. Like I, I I do I do feel like the problem is fixed to the extent it was a problem. Uh, and I. But I, I feel I feel weird about it. It does feel to me like lobotomy, but I don't think that's a rational feeling. I feel like that's more of a feeling that um, is just there for some reason. <laughs> I like that answer. I, I what's what's funny is I take a it's a dopamine based antidepressant, which I'm which I find is nice because it I don't have I've tried SSRIs and don't love the side effects either. But uh, I I take them so I can have feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Amaryllis was was you know, she was taking them so she wouldn't have feelings. And I mean, yeah. I guess, you know, whatever you need to solve your problem. Like if I was having too many feelings, I'd be on a drug for that too. Right. So I guess, uh, yeah, I like the analogy. What, um, I'm one of those people who is hoping for our glorious transhuman future where we can control everything about our bodies. And that would include things like, you know, how 
what our various spirit levels are at in our uh, on our character sheet, for example. Um, do you would you not make use of that in the transhuman future, or do you not think that that is even a thing humanity is going to have to wrestle with? Oh, um, I think that I would make use of it, but I think there's so so many pitfalls to it. Some of which are you know in worth the candle, right? Like, yeah, like who is capable of doing this? Like, are you going to have these, um, these spirals of you make one modification that makes you want to make another modification, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you you have, you have different knock on effects. There's just, there's a lot of problems that I think would come with it if it happened. Uh, but yeah, there, there are certain things I would, you know, I'm not terribly quick to anger, but, um, like I don't, I don't ever find anger to be a productive emotion for me. And so I'd like, I'd, you know, I'd tamp that down. There are a lot of things that I would, that, that I, uh, changed through internal reflection and like therapy and that I have to keep up on to not like fall back into old patterns. And if I could just like cut through the work to get my brain to work how I want it to work, um, that would be great. That was but, kind of Edesh's uh, argument. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take off. this as a win for my side. <laughs> I, the the and I I think you guys I think you're right. I, the only thing that I because I mean you're right. You know, I spend three years working through something when you can do it in 90 seconds. I think if I have to just retreat, you know, my my last thing would be part of that learning. You know, the training, that discipline, that gives you skills and and strength that you might be able to apply somewhere else. Oh right. yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I do think that there's like value in the hard work, and there's value in, um, like cross applicability and stuff like that. Um, I just like, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm some, very, some of them fuck doing the hard way. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, part of part of that, part of the soul stuff as a um, analogy to, you know, either um, something like Neuralink or or to. Uh, drugs or whatever is like I'm not against I'm not against mental modification and stuff I just the, I think there my experience with it has been one of having side effects and my general thoughts on um, self modification is that it's going to come with uh, additional problems it's gonna it's gonna come with you know when when we are first able to successfully do it we're gonna run into a bunch of other problems that come because there are unanticipated consequences, right? It's, it's not a system that we like the brain is not a system we understand. Well, um, like the consciousness is not, uh, something we have sufficient science for. And so like when it comes here, it's going to be, um, a lot of problems in that sense. And I think that is a problem like within worth the candle as well is, is for, for the characters is not having a full understanding of how these complex systems interact with each other right it's like it, it's listed in the soul as like a specific value and then like you start monkeying around with that and it has these knock-on effects and like i don't know it's it makes it makes me really excited for a series of novels set in the second empire as they're trying to fuck <laughs> around with souls and failing yeah. or sometimes succeeding you know every once in a while i got people being like you know the second empire they're the real heroes <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> nice you know like i can understand that perspective the like scientific rationalist perspective on um wanting to just solve problems you know mm -hmm. I, I i get that if they were the real heroes everyone wouldn't hate them so much though i mean they, they did stuff wrong you know? yeah 
Yeah, if, if in your scientific inve- endeavors you accidentally genocide a bunch of people, well, you can't just say, "Whoops, that was a science." Whoopsie, you know. Yeah. Uh, although you know, I'm going to mark this down as a tie because yeah. the whole knock-on effects thing was my thing. Like, I don't think Amy yeah. could turn down her feelings for June without turning down her attraction in general. Right. All right. Well, thanks for the, the conversation on that. I don't want to. That horse was beat for probably two hours over the last couple of years. So. <laughs> Uh, I, so I was wondering, I have a question f- to you as God of the, the Arab universe. Um, at the end there, the DM promises June that he is done with June's life. He's not going to uh, write in it or interfere with it anymore. Uh, are you dedicated to not writing any more in June's storyline at all? Or because it, it kind of feels to me like if you were to write more about June or any of his companions, that's like breaking the DM's promise to June. Although I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure if making promises to fictional people really matters, but on the other hand, I would feel so bad for June if that promise was broken. I don't know. I have weird feelings about this. Um, I'm not like, it depends on what, like, I'm not going to write, I'm not going to write more worth the candle. There's not going to be like worth the candle two. um, partly because of the ending of the first one. Uh, in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, whatever. But, uh, like, um, I, I'm not sure how 100% seriously I take that. It, dep- it depends on what it is. Because uh, there's going to be the speedrun version that I'm going to write eventually. What is the speedrun version? It is... Well, so you know speedrunning? <laughs> like, yeah. It's uh, a version of the story where Juniper is, like, has... Well, the, the actual conceit is that uh, people are, like, playing a worth-the-candle game, uh, a, like an extremely high-fidelity sim or whatever, and mm-hmm. someone is trying to get to the end as fast as possible. Um, so the speedrun version, like, you drop out of a plane and you kill three people on the way down to get the level up. <laughs> awesome. Like, necessary to, like, to, to finish the whole thing in comfort within, like, 13 minutes. You like land right next to a house and you uh, like you you just like really quick enter the combination that you already know for a safe to get a weapon from it, like bust out the window. And I, I, that's the speedrun version is like, like, but it's not actually June doing it. It's someone right, else. Right. OK. Um, OK. No, there's uh, if I ever did if I ever did um, like an adaptation, I might do an adaptation if I could make money on it. Mm-hmm. but again that's not the same thing as it's, writing it's more it's adapting writing what's more. there yeah but, i mean the, the reason i'm not writing more is because i don't really feel like writing more <laughs> so uh, <laughs> i mean those are the best promises <laughs> yeah you're like yeah. yeah i promise i'm never gonna stick my hand in a fire yeah so it's it's kind of that um i don't know the, it's the speedrun sounds hilarious in like and awesome or, in, in like 10 or 20 years i might want to write worth the candle to that seems really unlikely to me but it's much more likely that i would write a different semi-autobiographical thing that also features a loose self-insert but that still would be juniper so yeah what i was more worried about is like going back and writing an additional chapter or like the thing is i really want the um the the amaryllis arc while june is dead and i I would i would so love to have that but on the other first of all you don't want to write it so whatever but i also feel like if that was written now that would be like the DM going back on his word because now he's inserting more stuff in the story when he promised June that he would leave him alone. Well, technically, if it's inserted retroactively, I'm not sure that's see. Like, I think from it's June's chronology, the, the the from June's chronology, the the promise still stands, right? 
Yeah, he's also yes. dead the whole time. So <laughs> the mm, he, yeah, see, that's that's a tricky thing about getting promises from gods. They always have ways around them. Yeah. Oh, that that is a quick you know story question. I thought of why was June's soul uh, presumably in Felsey's exclusion zone for like three years because he didn't um, go to hell until they they nuked it. He was he was bottled by Felseed. Just so you'd have him around and presumably do gross things to the bottle? Um or or to find a way to resurrect him. Or uh, um just so that he would have oblivion instead uh, yeah. of instead of hell, which is not June's preference. Right. Yeah. Oh. What a dick. I love it. God damn. <laughs> That's awesome. I like the idea that he made him into a chair and he just doesn't have <laughs> memories of those three years of torture as a chair. I have. Well, actually, I think this could lead into Stephen's question. So I'm going to go ahead with this. Uh, this is, again, at the end of the uh, the arc in Anglican, they ended up killing Rose Mallow uh, in just an amazing scene. Uh, and I've, I, th- I believe it was uh, Amaryllis that asked June how much do you think how much of all this that happened do you think was premeditated and june asks like by the dungeon master and you know obviously by the dungeon master that's what what this whole book is about but i'm assuming like the whole thing was premeditated you knew all this was going to happen and does that mean that they never had any free will in the situation at all despite the fact that it looks like it does to us um the way i write characters i tend like i don't try to or I do my best to, to make the characters internally self-consistent, that they're not making decisions that I don't feel that they would make, and, and to try not to like bend them to the plot. So mm-hmm. in in that sense, I feel like they, I don't know, I, as far as where I fall on free will, I feel like it's kind of, I'm, I'm I guess, what a, a compatibilist, right? I, th- I think that the universe is by and large deterministic and, that doesn't necessarily mean that what we conceive of as free will doesn't doesn't exist because it because it can free free will can exist alongside determinism from a certain philosophical point of view and so in that sense i think that they do have free will because their their um characteristics as people albeit imagined people are not being uh changed for the sake of the story right the other stuff around them is being changed to produce those outcomes. But I do like when I'm writing Juniper, I try to think about what would Juniper do in this situation, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than trying to think about, um, r- rather than changing Juniper so that he can get to a specific outcome. Yes. And, but if you really want a certain outcome, you find a way to engineer the situation around him. So, so the thing that Juniper would do is get to the outcome you want him to be in. Yes. Which is good writing in my opinion, but also, do you really have free will then? See, see, that's to me that's a, combat, a compatibilist version of free will. You wouldn't okay. have free will if I was changing the character to suit the outcome I wanted. But, but I, I was trying, like as much as I can, for the main characters to to have them exist by themselves, and for uh, everything that they do to be a natural outcome of who they are as characters. And if the thing that they would do is not the thing that would be best for the story i will have them do that thing anyway and then i will try to make a better story around them i love it i think that's that's awesome there's something that occurred to me when i was thinking there was a couple of captain america references that i think were both captain america references 
it was just a fun thing for me that I enjoyed because I like those movies. One of the perks when he was all souped up on swords uh, or whatever, all of his m- combat skills was like you can throw your weapon and have it bounce off of like three surfaces and this deals 10% extra damage because this is stupid and shouldn't work. Yeah. Is that, was that Cap's shield? Yeah. Well, uh, all right. Cap's shield and uh, Xena, Warrior Princess. Oh, Hell yeah, it. I knew it. The, the other one was, was more subtle. When he was trying to become a fire mage and he's being set on fire over and over and he's like, I can do this all day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, so that was because Chris, uh, Chris Evans played Johnny Storm, right? Oh, uh, no. Oh, well. <laughs> I, for, I for, Yeah, I, for, I forget that Chris Evans is had a life before Captain though. America. Totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he so, was Johnny Storm. He was, and he got set a fire a bunch, and that was his whole he thing. And then later on, that became his catchphrase. Yeah. It was, it's also funny because Juniper hasn't seen all the Marvel movies. Right. He's, he saw his last one was Captain America Civil War, I think. I think that's yeah. right. I, I, I liked that. All the flashbacks were, and they were, they were interjected at such like impactful times. And I don't know. I mean, I, I can't recite everything we said over the last couple of years on it, but man, those, those were all done really well. You, rem- you reminded me because you're right. They, there was the one about going to see that movie. Yeah. Oh, was that the one where, no, I, I can't remember. There was one where like the DM slips into the booth and then just leans over and like shoots Fen in the face. Uh, oh, that was the dream. Yeah. Not actual flashback. Yeah. That know? was hardcore though. Yeah. So th- this kind of piggybacks on Inyasha's last question about free will and stuff for the characters. And, you know, it's, it's weird. And this is, there's another just fun thing about the story because they're viewing their own lives with story goggles on, you know? So like yeah. they, they're, they're able to ask like, what does free will mean if our lives are being orchestrated? And it, it, I guess there was a moment, this was really cool when he was dumping all of his points into intelligence, I think. And for like a hot minute, he was riding the high of being, you know, uber genius. And then it gets the correction on stuff. I think this was after that. Then he does the praying to the DM and he's, yeah. he prays that all of his friends on air were real with real internal lives and feelings. Otherwise it wouldn't be worth the candle. And uh, I guess, so this, this was like a, a thing that kind of bounced back and forth, especially with the end about how like they're explicitly characters in a book. But for me, I don't know. It It's hard for me to actually imagine what the real difference is between that and them being in a simulation or something. Right. Cause that's kind of the same thing, but I guess does the fact that his friends had lives and feelings in our minds and yours as the author, does that make it, you know, in June's words worth the candle or is that, I mean, I think does the question make sense. <laughs> yeah. I think probably not from his perspective. Um, Cause I mean, it is a simulation. It's just a simulation done on like a human brain. Uh, that does not have the capacity to like fully, fully simulate, simulate like a single other person, um, let alone, you know, like seven or eight of them. Um, so I, I think from his perspective, probably not, but it's, uh, they are fully simulated as much as I can feasibly manage, which is not, which is- you know, <laughs> compared to like a full brain emulation type thing uh, is, is probably, I would say not at all. Uh, well, but, it it's a little more than, I mean, I, I guess in my opinion, I feel like it's a little more than nothing just because you can't ask in your own mind, what would Amaryllis say? What would Grax say? What would June say? And you can get three different answers. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're you, you can run, a, you can run a model of them such that you can get different outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, is different than them existing in real time, running off and doing their own thing or whatever. But I don't know, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. It's not nothing. Um, I just don't think I don't think for Juniper would be enough. Yeah, on a scale from everything to nothing, it's closer to the nothing side of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of all that, near the end, uh, Juniper, not Juniper, Raven. Uh, Raven joins the um, saving people initiative. I forget what it was called, but they try to resurrect people from the deep past by chaining uh, people with memories that want to resurrect them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, If that could be done for fictional characters, should it be done? Like, I almost feel like now that these characters kind of exist in so many people's minds, if we had the technology to do what the authority could do and make people, maybe it would be good to make june and fen and grack and have them be real in the real world it depends on it depends on what like your bounding considerations are like if we had the compute to do that i i I still don't know if that's i don't know it's one of those things i'm on the fence about i'm on the fence about like resurrecting people who have not had any expectation of resurrection or or like desire to be resurrected who aren't like known to anyone i don't know that seems that seems like a really rough immigrant experience to me. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't for... that mean, though, that anyone who believed in an afterlife was expecting a resurrection and could be, uh, get one? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's like, okay, if we, ha- if we had the technology now to, like, have infinite compute somehow and we could resurrect people somehow, like, uh, there are definitely people out there who would be like, yeah, resurrect them all into simulations. And I don't know, that just seems like a bit a bit much to me, but that's one one of the things that I wanted from the epilogues when I was writing them was for it to be a reflection of how I feel. And then also to be something that people could disagree on. Uh, and like, I think that that is, that is a point. Like some people are just like, they read the epilogues and they're like, no, the authority should have just like immediately resurrected everyone who had ever lived. And like, uh, it's just one of those things that, that people disagree on, I guess. But Mm-hmm. If I, I I think I would not instantiate fictional characters, but I, I think it, people would inevitably would for their own purposes. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't know, you, you treat fictional characters as your friends, and they kind of are your friends in the sense that you can like think about what they would say and and like do your own simulation of them, and then they can help you in certain respects. I mean, that's not again on the spectrum of nothing to everything. No, they're not actually your friends, uh, but. Um, it can be helpful in some ways for that. I just don't. Sometimes I don't think there's a moral imperative to do it. I, I think there's yeah. there's lots of um, pragmatic and emotional reasons to do it. So so if it were possible, I think people would do it. But see, I I don't I don't draw a distinction between pragmatic and emotional and moral. Like moral just feels like pragmatic plus emotional combined to me for the most part. <laughs> okay, I mean. I, I think I could quibble on that, but I don't know if that this is the format for that. But some things that are moral are really hard to do and therefore like not pragmatic, right? Right. Or, or is part well, of pragmatism I mean, prioritizing things that you can do easily? I, I think if it is something that is impossible for a human to do, then it should not be a moral requirement at all. I think pragmatism is important here. Oh, yeah. Impossible. Sure. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll table that. Okay. <laughs> Because we are starting to run low on time. Uh, I guess before I throw it to the last question, um, is there anything that you want, or Stephen, quick, was there anything else you wanted to ask before I move on? Um, You know, I hate doing the thing because I've had the the awesome fortune to be able to talk to a couple of my favorite authors in my life, which actually, you know, high five to myself. Like younger me would have been stoked on this, (laughs) which is great. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And I am, but it's just, anyway, the, uh, so like, I, I don't know if I like people like it in the question. Well, what about this? You know, you don't ask, like, you don't go to Star Trek convention and ask them like, what about this, this part of the episode? Right. But all of that, that, you know, beating around the bush aside, I was, I noticed that when June completed the Doe's companion quest by getting the, the locust out of the bottle and all that, there was never a, you completed the quest notification and he didn't get a companion perk. Right, and I wondered if that was I wondered if that was on purpose because that that would be following rules, and that's not really what the doe does. Yeah, it was a deliberate dodge of um, both the rules, and I think at that point I was getting it. Just it felt it felt too much in the system, I guess. Yeah, too like, gamey. Too too not yeah not not even just like too gamey, but like too um, too much like Juniper had done it for game reasons if there's like a game reward even if he hadn't done it for game reasons if there's a game reward for it it feels too much like it is uh, a part of the, the the game system or or like the game is rewarding him for things he would have done anyway so mm-hmm. so it's it's partly like the the justification for it is that um you know it's it's the dough it doesn't need to follow the rules it doesn't need to be like a part of that like it's barely part of the game system anyway like all the all the text is replaced by you know pictures and and stuff um so uh like in that sense it's it you know what should juniper get from it maybe a new picture right like maybe an experience (laughs) um but uh the part of the narrative reason for that is i just i felt like it undermined um it undermined stuff that i didn't want it to undermine nice i can dig it uh i mean related question i don't know if this is stealing two in place of one but was there a reason that it was a doe and not a i don't know insert animal i really don't know i it was one of those things where i think <laughs> i just wanted i i just wanted an animal uh i i see deer a, a whole lot um they you know i live in i live in a, a small to mid-sized city but i i'm sort of not not suburbs because it's not a large enough city to have suburbs but um yeah i have, I have deer come in my backyard like once nice. a week and so I, I see them a lot. It's actually, I actually really just don't like deer. Cause they like eat my garden in the summer and they like poop in the lawn and stuff. And uh, so yeah. I chase them off um, <laughs> when they come in, but they, they keep coming back cause we have good grass for them to eat. So. And they're kind of dumb. Yeah. They are extremely dumb. No, I, I love it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of fun that that translated to June too. You didn't like deer either. I mean, yeah. they're, they're a good choice, you know, as opposed to like a bear or a badger or something. Cause they're, the right scale and size and they're also whether or not they're ruining your plants they're they're chill you know they don't have a scary presence they have a kind of chill presence yeah i I wanted the quiet yeah i wanted an animal that i had some feelings about love it yeah and a dog would have been like too you know charged you know everybody loves dogs so plus you don't want him to be june the dog fucker (laughs) (laughs) yeah are there any questions that we should have asked you that we have failed to ask? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, that's going to lead me to my last question then, which is what are you working on now? What is, what is the current thing? Um, so the current thing is this used to be about dungeons. It's debatably wrapping up um, at eight, 800,000 words. It's about half the length of Worth the Candle. Um, that is, it's been like a year and three months I've been working on that now. Um, but that's probably wrapping up soon, uh, unless I just, I'm going to have to make a decision within the next, like, probably a couple of weeks, 
where I say, okay, either I've come to the end, this has been like epilogues, and you know, or or I'm I'm launching into another arc, and I think I'm launching into another arc. So I'm having fun with it. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, I've got the publication deal for that already, and it's going to be some audiobooks. So that's that's good. That'll be in like the next year. Um, and then I am writing my national novel writing month, uh, novel, which is thresholder. That's, uh, it's only like 50,000 words. It's probably not going to be, uh, when it's finished, it'll, it'll probably be under 200,000 words total, but I'm going to keep going with that until it's, until it's actually finished. It's at like 50,000 right now. Um, and yeah, then after that is going to probably be a return to Glim Warden, which is a serial that I started and then stopped after like 13 chapters. Cause I, I don't know. I was getting really anxious and depressed about it. <laughs> Are you going to rewrite any of the earlier chapters or continue where you left yeah, off? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in rewriting on the earlier chapters now. Oh, okay. Re- oh, so you've already started in on this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I usually try to have like two or three things going in parallel because it uh, helps me be more productive usually. With this used to be about dungeons, I've heard that it is uh, far more chill, like significantly less dinosaurs in it. Is that true? And is that making it easier to write? Um, yeah. I, part, part of what I wanted when I started this used to be about dungeons. And part of why I chose that over other candidate projects uh, was I wanted something that was like going to be a palate cleanser that was going to be um, like maybe 80% slice of life. I, th- I think my my... I think my prospect was like was like ten percent dungeons, where you know the main characters go into a dungeons and they have fights and stuff, and like seventy percent, um, just like slice of life stuff, like making breakfast and like going to gardening club and stuff like that, and then maybe like twenty percent relationship stuff. Um, I think it's hit about that. I think that's I think it's hit about um what I had planned for it. There, you know, there's a, there's occasional moments of dinosaurs um but it's it's it definitely it's not like a dominating factor i mean the 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 dungeons are are where more of the like action and combat happens most of the time and and then you know they're outside the dungeons and they're dealing with more mundane stuff or even just not really uh dealing with that much so okay Hmm. and that that one is also picked up for uh to be published Yes, you're saying. it's going to be published by Wraithmarked. It's actually going to be on Kindle Unlimited. So uh, depending on when this episode goes out, uh, it might be offline. It might be off Royal Road. Oh, shit. And Royal Road is the only place that it's hosted right now, right? It is. It's Kindle Unlimited has a, um exclusivity thing, which uh, yeah. I don't really like, but uh, you get a lot of money doing it. So Yes. <laughs> okay, well, fantastic. Um, I think that's everything okay great yeah i i I had a great time this was you know one of the most impactful books i've read a lot of fun conversation and like i said last week i mean this this book happened to hit me at a at a time in my life where it turns out i really needed it it was awesome and uh like i like i said last time i just wanted to say thanks for you know obviously it was a coincidence but uh you know it's just uh it's nice when things like that work out um and it was, uh, I've recommended it to friends. I've had a lot of fun. So thanks again. Yeah. Okay, great. I, I read a bunch of stuff and it is, I don't know. I try not to have like strict hierarchies, but it's easily one of my favorite books in top 10. It just, for the amount of things it handles and how it handles them and how you really dig into both philosophy and just the idea of interacting with art 
through the art is just, I don't know, it's, it's wonderful. It hit everything that I love. And I think it's just an exceptional example of this sort of art. So thank you again for making it. Oh, okay, great. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks I don't know what people time. are supposed to say to that. Right. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I appreciate but, it. Um, thanks man. Yeah. Thank you for joining us as well. This was great. Okay, Stephen, now that we have gotten Alexander Wales out of the room, we can talk about our next project. Now that we're alone, we can finally speak freely. Yes, exactly. Briefly, uh, we've been on break for, I guess, three months now? God, I was going to say, has it only been that long or has it been that long? And both of those incredulities feel equally true. I know, it's weird. Three months? I I think so, yeah. I think September was the last time we did this. Man, maybe, maybe you're right. Jeez. Okay, well, it's been a hell of a three months. Yes, it has. It, it's been been fast, yeah. busy. Me too. Yeah, and you I went. Had... You did. You went all around like a hero's journey and <laughs> uh, to the middle of the desert to thousand year old cathedrals. Yeah, I I did. It was it was a heck of a thing, and it's it's yeah. Like I said, no one needs an autobiography right now. We're just talking about the next thing we're doing. What is uh, the next thing we're doing? So I think the next thing we're doing is like as a palate cleanser, ours is going to be significantly shorter than uh, Alexander's. (laughs) I was thinking uh, doing two movies, one that I pick, one that you pick, uh, one show on each one. uh, And mine was going to be the Truman Show, of course. All right, cool. Awesome. I'm still thinking about the movie. That said, it shouldn't come as a surprise that I might, will probably end up doing Thor Love and Thunder. Okay. And the reason for that is because it took, I, I saw it, you know, opening weekend and then months later, it was probably on its way out of the theaters. And it wasn't until the subsequent watch that I was like, okay, I think, I think I've pinned down how I feel about this movie. Cause the first time I went through it, I just, I didn't really know. I, I had thoughts. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't walk out of it and be like, that was awesome. Um, so I think that there's stuff to talk about with this. I was going to already kind of preload the gun, but I shouldn't. So, um, okay. Yeah. That, that might be what, you know, unless something else comes to mind. Okay. All right. We should do a quick recommendation for you and for them, for for the listeners, for stuff while we wait to do these episodes. I have a I have a media recommendation for people. Oh, okay. Uh, well, go right ahead then. It. So you're familiar with the Adams family? Oh my God! You're about to recommend Wednesday. You, have you seen it? No, but okay. I hang out in a lot of God circles, and it is all the rage. Well, so here's the thing. I saw that they're making a Wednesday show, and like Wednesday from was it the nineties movie is the main one I have experience with the couple with uh, like, well, Fester might just be in one. doesn't matter. I saw the nineties versions. Um, mm-hmm. Like she's not a character that you can do a story about. Right. Okay. She, she, I, you saw the movies, right? No, I saw the old black and white th- uh, shows. I never actually saw the movies. Oh, well, they're fun. You should check them out. Um, I've heard that. Perfect I'm 90s camp. To. Yeah. Um, but like the thing is the characters, they're not, they're not characters with like inner lives that are interesting in my experience, in my humble opinion. Like they're, they're, they're oddballs with funny stuff happening or like yeah. they, they do weird stuff. And so I thought they were going to try and just do like, oh, great. It's going to be like another, you know, kick-ass girl boss, you know, who's going to come in and surprise everybody with, you know, her attitude, yada, yada. It's not that. It is. It's so awesome. Like she she's, I don't know, like she, this isn't spoiler. It's the first, ep- like the first 10 minutes, first episode. She goes to like basically Hogwarts a school for like other weirdos, you know, everything from like vampires and werewolves to whatever the hell the Adams family are. Right. right. They're, they're basically like they're, they're weirdos with 
interesting gothy aesthetic and like plot armor mm-hmm. like that that's their whole thing um mm-hmm. they can survive a fall out of a off a building because oh look i reached someone reached out and caught them just by accident right um yeah so they passed they passed the test um anyway wednesday was hilarious it was funny like the way that they did it is they didn't make it a story about like wednesday the character really like going through an arc or like that sort of thing it's about her being in a, in a bizarre circumstance and then her awesome like approach to problem solving. Okay. So it was really funny. I think you'd get I think you'd get a kick out of it. And uh there's this also this fun thing. This is totally tangential, but Brienne of Tarth from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I think she's 6'3". Mm-hmm. Brienne of Tarth is the headmaster, whatever they call it, principal. The actress yeah. who plays Wednesday is 5'2". Oh my god, okay. So that's just funny <laughs> dynamic. Mm-hmm. They don't stand next to each other often enough, but they do at least once or twice. Cool. All right. That is that is as long as my recommendations for stuff usually are. So you're welcome. Uh, yeah, absolutely. For, you're talking your fucking ear off about it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, am I supposed to recommend something too then? Yeah, if you got anything. Did I recommend Why Women Kill on this podcast before? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, in that case. Um, Did you watch season two? No, but yeah. actually I'm planning on starting it this week. Oh, cool. If you, if you find that you're not loving it, maybe you just switch to Wednesday. Okay. Like I said, it was I, fine, but problem- it's a different show. The problem with Wednesday is that Netflix is currently one of the um, things I don't have a subscription to. Smart. So, yeah, I'm going to have to get rid of one of the other ones that we aren't using right now and uh, and switch to Netflix. Or maybe you won't. We'll see. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, cool. All right. Well, yeah. we'll figure out a time for a Truman Show. Let's do that first. Yeah. All right. Sounds great. Cool. Um, so everybody watch Truman Show within the next two weeks or so, because we'll be back in. I don't want to I don't want to say in a week because uh, we'll be back in two weeks to uh, have the dream with the Truman Show episode. Right. We can just put this little teaser out whenever we want and we'll we'll come back in a week from when you guys hear this. Uh, oh, I was going to put this teaser at the end of the episode so that like it'll be right there, you know, at the end of the uh at the end of the Alexander Wales thing. Right, that makes sense. But if we put it whenever we want, then we have all the freedom in the world, you know, to procrastinate on watching Truman Show. <laughs> right, but the, then that freedom means we'll procrastinate and it'll be another three months before we do anything. So that's why we got to nail it down right now and make ourselves feel guilty. Good point. We've got, yeah. we got the holidays coming up. It'll almost certainly be in December. And if not, early January. How's that sound? It will absolutely be in December. Okay, deal. All right. Sold. Okay, uh, we'll see y'all again soonish. Sounds good.